Today on Make Impact, we have Jamie Swain. Jamie is the CEO of Virginia Foundations for Public Media and the president of VPM. VPM is the largest locally owned and operated public media company in central Virginia. Jamie is a former deputy director of U.S. News and World Report, spending 11 years at PBS. She now oversees the public TV and radio member stations across Virginia through VPM's network. From Make Films, you're listening to Make Impact, a podcast about creative problem solving and the leaders who are changing their industries for the better. Here's your host, filmmaker and entrepreneur, Derek Diener. Thank you, Jamie, for coming on the podcast today. We're excited to talk to you today on Make Impact. We met about a year ago and over a year ago now, and we've been working on you know this three-episode series called Dismantling Democracy that just launched a couple of weeks ago now, which is crazy that um, that launched this year, right? I mean, who would have thought that 2020 would have been the year that it became? It, it's been an amazing you know, journey working with VPM on this content. So I thought I'd have you on the show. We could talk a lot about your experience in public broadcast over the past. I mean, when did you begin your career at PBS? Uh, 2008. So I was at PBS for a decade before I came to this job. Wow. Wow. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to kind of jump into that. But before we do that, I'd love to kind of ask you some of these, what we call rapid fire questions, just to get to know you a little bit better really quickly. Okay. And, uh, you know, you don't have to spend a ton of time, but we'll go through each one if that's okay. Okay. Great. So uh, first one is pretty basic. Where are you originally from? That's actually a funny question because um, I've moved all over, but I'll say the Jersey Shore is the longest place. Really? Okay. I'm from South Jersey originally, more Cherry Hill area, but that's where I'm born. Yeah. Well, if you know Asbury Park, oh, you know yeah. I used to, I used to actually I'm a little north from there, but I used to trick or treat at Bruce's house. Okay. Nice. Nice. Oh yeah, Asbury Park. That's a great, the great area. Um, yeah. And then, okay. So how would you describe your perfect day, like relaxed day? What, how would you describe that? My perfect day would definitely involve spending time with my husband and my dog Elway. Yes, I'm a Broncos fan. And um, probably near water on a beach, uh, perhaps, again, as the Jersey Shore girl that I am, um, and just being outside and enjoying the water and the sand and um, just hanging out. I love that. I love that. That's the problem now. I live in Pennsylvania. We're a little landlocked here. So yes, <laughs> try to try to make my way as much as I can to the beaches during the during the warm season. Yeah. Great. So then last, last rapid fire question. What's an interesting fact that not a lot of people would know about you? Oh boy. Um, I am a competitive swimmer. Um, some people do know this. I actually, I did not swim in college, but I swam um, competitively since I was five years old up through till I was about 18. Um, and then I now swim for a master's team. Um, and so that is, that's the thing I wake up every morning and go to practice and uh, still try to compete and do some occasional triathlons. So that's a little wow. fun fact. Yeah. So you've done triathlons. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. How, how long is an average triathlon take that I always am amazed by that? I um, Well, I've done the sprints and the Olympic distance and the Olympic distance, you're at it for a couple hours, but it's funny because as a swimmer, um, most people are bikers or runners. So I get, would get out there first and then I spend the whole rest of the time getting passed by everybody. So it's a little demoralizing, <laughs> but uh, but it's always a little bit of, of fun. And I actually have done a couple here in Virginia and we have such beautiful countryside that uh, it, it's just great fun to be out there and, and, wow, and give yeah. something a, a try. That's amazing. Yeah, I I did the, the the best thing I ever did in that in that arena is a half marathon, which was for me never doing anything like that in my life. But that that was, I did that twice in my late twenties and that was, pretty cool experience, but yeah, yeah, 
you know, it's I, a lot of training, right? It's a lot of dedication and training. Is. Yeah. And I, the first time I did it, I was scared out of my mind. So I think I trained a lot harder. Yeah. And the second time I did it, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I did it before. And, and then actually running that half marathon was way harder because mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like the training just helps you so much, of course, you know, yeah. But anyway, yeah. well, that's pretty neat. I didn't know that. So, you know, um, so then you've been with VPM for approximately like the last two years, right? Almost two years, not quite two years. It'll be um, January 2nd, 2019 is when I started. Wow. Okay. Well, congrats on that anniversary coming up. Yeah. Um, I love you to talk to me a little bit about what, what was that transition like coming from, you know, PBS and then going to VPM, which was, you know, you were guys were in a lot of transition at that point. You're also right. in a smaller market, different things. Talk a little bit about that, that career change and transition for you. Sure. I, it was a great transition for me. In fact, when the job popped up, I just thought it was the perfect job. Um, I was committed to Virginia. I actually have a house in, in Madison County. Um, and so I really wanted to be in, in Virginia. I'm a University of Virginia graduate. So this is where my husband and I wanted to spend time. Um, I wanted to be in public media. I'd been at PBS for 10 years. Before that, I'd been in commercial media uh, and really didn't want to go back to commercial media. I felt a real passion about what we were doing in public media. Um, but then what was even more exciting is that, as you said, the transformation uh, as a station. I think we were in a cusp of um, having so many great puzzle pieces. Our, our footprint had expanded. We got some resources from a spectrum auction um, and had a lot going for us. But the question is, how did you assemble those puzzle pieces so we could really uh, tap into all the unlimited potential that I thought we had. So for me, I thought it was the perfect job. So I applied and I was uh, lucky enough to be uh, able to get this position and come here. And it's very different when you're at PBS, you get to see the whole system from a bird's eye view. You're really thinking of it from a, a membership level and a 50,000 foot view. But what you always would hear stories about is the impact and the on the ground. Uh, and you really didn't get a sense of that. And so it's been from day one when I got here, being able to talk to people in the community um, who have watched our, our content or maybe used our educational resources. That's what really drives me. Um, and that was what was incredibly fulfilling and, and made me want to be at a local station, but particularly being here. Yeah, that's amazing. I think about uh, the impact that public broadcast has on communities. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like it's, it's probably a lot more than what the average person would would think. Mm -hmm. okay, can you give some examples or some things that inspire you in, in terms of the impact that VPM has in your local community? Yeah, absolutely. I think that people think of us as a PBS or an NPR station, but we're more than just that. I, I'd like to think of us broad as a broader media organization. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you, I could talk about a hundred examples. I'll try to boil it down to a couple. You know, obviously there's been um, a lot of conversations about systemic racism, uh, and social justice following the murder of George Floyd. And there were a number of protests here in Richmond. Um, your listeners may know that Richmond houses a lot of the original Confederate monuments and it's been very controversial over time. Uh, there's been a lot of protests here. Um, and we as public media were trying to figure out how we could be additive to the conversation um, and, and not just do one or two things. So the team came together and pulled together these virtual discussions called Race Challenging Perceptions. Uh, we did four of them and the whole idea was how can we educate people around systemic racism and the impact that that's had on our community. So we talked about housing, we talked about education, wow. um, uh, wealth and equity, uh, what's happened around COVID-19. And I think those have been really powerful. And in fact, we heard from a local museum, they're actually using it as a tool in their diversity, equity and inclusion work. Huh. So that's, that's a great wow. example. 
Um, another example, we just did a documentary called Herd. Uh, and the idea of the documentary was first person accounts from people living in low income housing in Richmond. Okay. Again, from the systemic racism point of view, Richmond had redlined communities, uh, particularly those that were largely black and African American so that people couldn't get loans. Um, there was just, they were devoid of any infrastructure or investment uh, and have created a system of, of constant sort of circular poverty. Um, and instead of just doing a documentary we just recorded their stories and let people speak. And I think what that did is public media, part of our role is just to illuminate stories and people's voices and maybe who aren't often heard. And I have gotten so much um, feedback that people um, so appreciated and had, had never seen something like it because we just really gave voice um, to people and, and brought out the humanity. So I know um, pe different people are using that as a tool as well. Um, and finally, I'll give a plug for our education resources. I think one of the things that people don't realize how much we do is education. Um, when the pandemic hit, so many families went to virtual learning. We're lucky here in Richmond, we actually have two stations and we made one of our stations a um, learning only channel. Okay. And the great thing about that is we have a lot of people across Virginia, you do in Pennsylvania that don't have broadband. Um, so you had a lot of families at home and we were able to bring people PBS Kids content and content we created to help educate kids why they were stuck at home and also hopefully give parents a little bit of a break. So we've yeah. heard um, just tremendous feedback on that as a resource um, during this really complicated time. Oh yeah, no, that's amazing. That's I I didn't realize all the the couple of those examples I've heard of, but that's amazing what you guys are doing, in the community there. I think, you know, one thing I I'd be curious about for me and and for the listeners here, what is the relationship like from VPM or like affiliate side to PBS? Like how how much content are you guys creating versus what they're creating, and and do you have ongoing dialogue or is there any kind of thing that you can share about how that works? Sure. Um, and every station is a little bit different. So PBS is a men membership organization and you can think about it as a giant syndicator. So PBS leverages, um, we all pay dues to PBS and PBS leverages those dollars to get content at scale. We alone wouldn't be able to go get Masterpiece or Nature or Frontline, for example. Yeah. Those are programs that cost um, money. You know, television costs money, yeah. especially something like investigative news. So we're able to benefit from that. Um, there is some common carriage um, rules. And the reason is you wanna run um, nature at eight o'clock on Wednesdays and then Nova because we can then benefit from the marketing. But we um, program Thursday nights, uh, we program Saturdays, and then we have the opportunity to create our own local content. We're very fortunate here in Virginia. Uh, again, we have some resources. I think we have a strong public media community here that supports us. Uh, and enables us to be able to create a lot of original content. It's actually something we're doing a lot more of. Um, we, we've done original content through our 50 year history, but we're doing even more. Because to me, that's what makes us unique. Um, you could show, look at your PBS stuff, you could listen to NPR, but you could also get that online. So why would you come to VPM? And it's more and more about creating those local stories and even local stories as we did with dismantling, dismantling democracy with you all that might also be resonant across the country. Yeah. Um, and so I'd say number wise, maybe 20% of it. But the other thing that we're thinking about is, so we, we're doing uh, traditional television, uh, we're creating uh, obviously radio, but we're doing podcasts, we're dipping into podcasts, we're creating digital only, and you don't get as much of that stuff from PBS. That's really on stations to create so that we can reach audiences and hopefully a diverse audience wherever they are. Yeah, no, that's cool. A lot of you have probably heard of audible.com. Uh, I've used audible for the past 
seven years, I've read over 80 books. I actually learned from a friend if I've been listening to books 30% faster. So I do the, use the 1.3 times faster and it's just a way to kind of get books faster with my efficiency brain. But it, it helps me, you know, it's amazing. I, I love to stay connected, informed uh, and inspired by audible.com. So you can sign up for your free 30 day trial of Audible Premium Plus at audibletrial.com slash make impact. That's audibletrial.com slash make impact. Happy listening. Yeah, I mean, obviously the dismantling democracy is a good example of of that original content and you right. know, that's how we met. And um, like I kind of opened with, I mean, when we had these discussions in 2019, who would have thought that 2020 was gonna bring all the intensity and kind of pressure on our democracy as what it is today. So, you know, I, I feel like that's another way that VPM and, and that's for make films too, to be involved in a project like this and feel like you are contributing to a greater conversation that we need to continue to have, right? In order to, to continue to cultivate the American democracy and make it stronger. But how, how is the reaction been from VPN about dismantling democracy? I mean, in terms of viewership or, or, or any feedback that you receive from people? Has that been, have people been learning from it at all? Yeah, I think that's the important part of the film. And you mentioned the word learning. Yeah. I think that it was a, it was going to be a relevant film, but we couldn't have anticipated quite how relevant. I remember when I arrived at VPM and a lot of people talked about the need to have more civics education. Mm -hmm. How can we be good citizens? What does that mean? Are young people engaged? Um, and I think what the three-part film does is really highlight uh, the need for civics and, and how fragile our democracy is. I mean, that was an incredibly important point in the film before things got even further along in 2020 where the election was questioned and, and people were wondering no matter what party you're in, yeah. do we have a, a system where I vote uh, and that vote counts and this democracy is um, on solid ground. So I think the film is um, resonant, not just now, but I think it'll be resonant for many years to come as a piece of civics education. We had great viewership numbers on it. I think that people were um, very interested in the subject. Yeah. The timing couldn't have worked out better, Derek. I don't know how, 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 how you did it, how you planned it like that. I mean, right before right before the election. Um, but we've heard, you know, I think the interesting comments too that we've heard uh, and that public media um, I think can do is there's so much polarizing information right now. I know. And I think that um, you all did such a good job showing so many different perspectives. I mean, when you've got Ted Cruz and Tim Kaine in a, in a film, I know. right? I know. And, I, and I think people appreciated that. I think yeah. everybody can see maybe their own thoughts in it, but hopefully it challenged as well. And what I've heard is people found it smart. They found it balanced. They found it provocative. It made them think a little bit. And as public media, that's our role. We're not picking one side or another. We're trying to present yeah. diverse views and let you make your own decision. And I think the film did um, that really beautifully. So congratulations to you and your team. Yeah, no, thanks. And, you know, I'm not trying to use this as an opportunity to get pat on the back here, but I do appreciate the the words. I mean, we did feel like it was uh, that very proud of the fact that it kind of brought a conversation together, yeah. brought a conversation that we need to have more about civil discourse and that's okay. And how do we do that? And cause it's, it's definitely become so polarized and it's like, where, who do you listen to? It's, it's really tough. 
to kind of, and, and for, for PBS stations and what you're doing specifically at VPM is to allow for those conversations to take place in a safe place right. um, is it, super important. So yeah, yeah. No, I'll even me. give you, I'll even give you another, an example. Um, NPR, you may know, has something called StoryCorps. Uh, and traditionally, StoryCorps was just recording people's stories, which is great. And they're always emotional. And you sit in your driveway and you cry on <laughs> Friday mornings. Um, but they've launched something called One Small Step. And the idea is that to bring people together from different political backgrounds, but not talk politics, but to talk about your humanity, talk about your journey and your values. Um, and Richmond has been one of the cities selected to do it. In fact, we've just been selected as, as one of four cities across the country oh, where one cool. small step is going to come and spend more time. Um, because I think it's just that idea when you start talking about your upbringing, yeah. um, when people talk about their family, it starts to break down and you see the humanity. And for whatever reason, that's been lost in all of this, whether it's social media or the way that we communicate, yeah. but bringing people together, I think we have so many more commonalities than we do differences. Um, and so many other media organizations are driving the polarization and the opinions. And we want to be that place for civil discourse because I think we can be a unifier at public yeah. media. No, that's very true. I mean, on a, it's, you know, the dehumanization of mm -hmm. our society is what divides us really. And right. we, we set up these like ideas of what other people believe and right. tell stories about what we think other people believe. And it is it is becoming that's really cool that conversation and, and congrats on being chosen there in Richmond to have those conversations continued because it's it's important we're, we're a lot more relatable and a lot more connected as humans than what we might right. believe sometimes which is which is good which and and it's easy when you're fighting on social media to just throw the tomato you know what I mean or whatever but when you're sitting right. down with somebody and their kids are you know you're working from home everybody's in this kind of craziness together this right. year it brings you down a little bit. It brings you a notch down. So I think America or the world, like it brought, this brought us to like this place of pause this year. If there's anything mm -hmm. positive about it, it brings you back to like what really matters and like then humanity and people. So those are, so, that, and that's the cool thing, you know, kind of jumping into another question here is about storytelling. I mean, since you, you know, for your whole career, you've been involved in some way, like you said, either commercial or kind of this, the you know, public broadcast phase of storytelling. What, what do you think it is about this stories and, and storytelling that is so powerful, that is so connective? Like, what, what, what do you think that is? I think as it gets to humanity, it gets to your emotions. Yeah. Um, people ask me why, why I went into media and I always joke, I watched so much television as a child, there was like really no other option. <laughs> um, and I think I was drawn, I was just drawn to stories, movies, yeah. or um, whether it was fiction or nonfiction, um, people's stories are interesting, right? And that we're, we're all complex human beings yes. um, and how that, that plays out. And I just think it's fascinating and learning about each other. And, and that also helps you learn about yourself. And there's something when you get into the real emotive um, part of just who we are as, as people that I think is, is beautiful. And I think stories do that. And one of the things that we can do because we're not commercial is we can lean into some of the stories that people might not tell. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm not a country music fan at all. I'll admit it. Same. same. Um, but I, I mean, again, I'm from the Jersey Shore. What are you, you yeah, going to do? I know, I know. But, um, but when you watched Ken Burns' country music, I thought, oh my gosh, 18 hours. But what he told was an American story. And it was a diverse story. And it talked about how people create music and why they created music and why music connects. Um, and I think that was just such a great example of 
finding right the, the the humanity and the story and the interest in it even though the subject matter i don't know again i wasn't going to listen to country music yeah. but what a great example of of a storyteller and why it's important uh and it helped me learn about the country it helped me learn about our history it helped me learn about music it helped me learn about people and it, i just thought that was um it was just a great journey even though it was 18 yeah. hours of it that's crazy that's it yeah i, I can't <laughs> your next film's got to be know, 18 hours we'll do a marathon of a film yeah. oh my goodness it takes him six or seven years so to be yeah. fair to him that's true yeah so you're ceo of vpm and you're leading a creative like uh you know broadcast like you're leading this this organization that has a lot of people and you're telling a lot of stories what what do you think like do you have like something that you can continue to come to center with in terms of these are the most important things i need to focus on when leading vpm or like how how do you how do you lead a group of people that are telling these stories like do you have any advice that you can give or any kind of uh, wisdom that you can share um that's a big question i, I, I think for us it's you know we're not we're not the same as commercial media right so our strategic plan we have uh, a couple goals, but the first two, one of them is to increase our uh, awareness and relevance. And the second one is to grow our audience. If you're in commercial media, you're gonna grow your audience. So you're gonna really go for eyeballs, right? In monetization, yeah. Yeah. we don't think of it that way. We really think about the relevance. We really think about the impact. Mm. And so to do that as, as a creative endeavor, we have to be really connected to our community. Um, we're not just gonna go out and create you know, shiny things and, um, uh, things that we know will get sort of clickbait, if you will. We want to tell things that we think and hope strengthen the community and strengthen people. Um, so it's a different, it's a different model. And we have to be very tapped into the community. You know, we stretch here in, in Virginia from Richmond through Charlottesville to the Shenandoah Valley. We have urban centers, we have rural um, centers. So we need to tell all of these stories. And so it's important for us to uh, have community partnerships, uh, be out there in the community and really be listening to what's what matters. What are what are people um, dealing with? What are people wrestling with? So that when we ultimately tell these stories, we're telling things that are um, that can really connect. Uh, otherwise, I don't think that we would be doing our job in the right way. So we look at it and we think about the creation of our content and how we greenlight content, probably in a way that's a little bit different than, than maybe a commercial network. Oh, that's neat. That's cool. And, and what do you think are some of the, the biggest challenges for um, broadcast or for public media right now? I mean, I'm sure there's lots of different, different challenges that you face, but what would some of those challenges be, would you say? Yeah, I think there's many. I think one of the biggest ones is just the disintermediation of the media. Uh, we all have more choices, you know, in the old days, well, maybe some of your listeners don't even know this, but you used to turn a dial, um, you know, and you might get up to, you know, a, a certain channel and that would be PBS. Well, now we fight amongst 500 channels. Um, so how can we punch above our weight because we don't have the same marketing dollars? And I mean this writ large from public media, PBS and, and NPR, um, as well. You know, when you think about The Crown on Netflix cost about $130 million the first season, I mean, PBS spends that about all of their content, right? Yeah. And so, and as a, even as a local station, how can we, how can we compete? How can we be relevant? Because I think a lot of times people will say to me when they discover us, gosh, I didn't know that you had this, or I didn't know you were doing this. Um, and I think that that's difficult. We have to place our bets in a lot of different places. Yeah. As I mentioned, we're getting into podcasting. So now we have to gin up podcasting uh, ability and capacity in storytelling, yeah, yeah. Oh, as yeah. well as we can't let TV go, as well as radio and digital and web. 
Um, and we have to do so on finite dollars and we have to rely on the support of our community, which is vital and that's what keeps us going. And that's always under pressure, especially during a pandemic or oh, yeah. something like this where people may not be able to give their hard earned dollars to support our work. Um, and so, you know, I think dollars always um, diversifying our revenue, but I really think it's that relevance thing. How can we get more people to um, visit us and come and, and, tr and see what we're doing? Yeah, no, that's good. Well, I think, I think you guys have done a great job with the challenges that you've had. I mean, you've certainly uh, have, a, have a really good local relevant voice. And I think that, that, you know, what you were saying, I mean, that local content, you can see things that are going in your neighborhood and your backyard mm -hmm. and your local communities. You can't find that on Netflix. You know, you can't right. find that on national channels, but, uh, but to have a strong, you know, public station like that, that what you guys are doing there is, is, is a, is a great model, I think, for other PBS affiliates to follow because you're doing such innovation in your content and, and trying all these things and keeping everything going strong. So, so congrats on the last, you know, almost two years and almost and, two years. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty. And so VPM, when did that actually begin? Was it right after you joined kind of, is that the beginnings of when it came? Yes, together? so when I got here, again, we, we actually merged um, from a PBS footprint, the Richmond station merged with the station in Harrisonburg, which is in the yeah. Western part of the state. Um, so we became a bigger footprint. We actually here in Richmond, um, we used to have a mixed format radio station. So what that means is we were, during drive time, we were all things considered in morning edition. And then during the day part, we were music but we were able with some resources to buy an all new station and an all music station. So by doing this, we had more stations, but then what that meant is we had logo soup. So we were saying CVE and CVW and HTJ and this and that, and it just confused the heck out of people. You know, it, it was difficult. The other thing to think about is as an organization, where did we aspire to be? And as I just mentioned, how can we be relevant to people on different platforms? The previous brand was the community idea stations. And that doesn't fit really great on a small uh, tile on your iPhone. Yeah. So, you know, we really had to rethink um, our brand to not only think about how do we knit together a much larger footprint in all of these stations, how did we put together a brand that talked about what do we aspire to be, but also physically like logo wise and graphically could be accessible on a lot of different formats. So that's when we became VPM. We became VPM in mid um, 2019, um, which is an exciting launch and the team did amazing work. And then now we're really backing up well, what is VPM? Um, and as you talked about, it is really that that local. Uh, local news is struggling across the country. And I think public yeah. media stations across the country are stepping in to fill that void. Um, you know, you like I said, you don't think about where do you get your local? What's well, not on Netflix or Disney streaming or Peacock yes. or any of these? Yes. It's really with your stations. And I, I'll say we're innovating, but I think stations, public media stations across the country are some of the most innovative organizations right now um, because we're the last... Um, many cases locally owned uh, or media organizations. Wow. Um, we get dollars from many cases from, from viewers. And so we're responsive to that. If you look at the way like Gray or Sinclair and others, they're buying your NBC affiliates, your CBS affiliates. Mm -hmm. And then that's managed from a central sort of location. And it's yeah. not really as local, I think, as what we're trying to do. And, and so I give a lot of credit to, to my colleagues in public broadcasting. I think we're all trying to do new and bolder and braver things. And it's almost like the pandemic erased time. We all knew 
digital streaming was going to yeah. increase over time and start to overtake broadcasting. But boy, we just lost three years oh, yeah, of that. Yeah, that just yeah. happened overnight. <laughs> that's a great way of saying it. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's a scary, a scary reality, but that's, yeah. it's certainly pushed things further, uh, faster. Um, Cause there's some organizations that are doing amazing or, you know, some businesses that are doing amazing in 2020 and then other, and they were, you know, others that are not, you know, and, and it's just kind of pushing that divide more, which is, yeah. which is life, you know, you have to adjust now and just have to adjust faster, like you said. So that's right. But, um, well, Hey, it was really good chatting with you today. Get to know you a bit better. And uh, thanks for having us uh, work with you on dismantling democracy. Of course, with university of Virginia, it was a, a really meaningful project for us and uh, definitely rooting for you guys and rooting for public broadcast to continue the fight and continue pushing for all the great things that you're doing. So thank you. Well, thanks, Derek. We appreciate you getting the word out about us. We, we love getting new and, and innovative filmmakers into public media. So we appreciated working with you and look forward to the next project. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make Impact. If you feel impacted by our show, please visit ratethispodcast.com slash makeimpact to leave us a review. Follow our journey on Instagram at makeimpactpodcast. Make Impact is hosted by Derek Diener, written by Letitia Kreider, and produced by Letitia Kreider and Grace Wagner. Aaron Diener and Seth Bortner edit the episodes, and Lisbeth Byler is our marketing manager. Make Impact is brought to you by Make Films, a team of filmmakers producing meaningful content to inspire and motivate. Learn more at makefilms.cc. Until next time, be kind to one another and make an impact.